questions are on the screen, so take note of those as, as we will use those in our, our response time uh, toward the end of our, our time together this, this morning. We have been in, uh, we've been camping in Luke chapter 9 for, for quite some time now. Um, in fact, I think we've, this is going to be our, our sixth sermon in Luke chapter 9, and I believe we have two more to go if, uh, if I added it correctly. So when I say we are camping out in Luke chapter 9, it's because it seems like we're at the Yosemite of, uh, of uh, the Yosemite National Park of, of the Gospel of Luke. There's so much here. This is a long uh, chapter, but it is so rich and so full. So as you turn to Luke chapter 9, um, I wanted to uh, real quickly um, say thank you for allowing uh, me and uh, Pastor Bill to go to uh, Louisville a week ago-ish to together for the gospel. Uh, it was quite the encouragement. Very grateful for that. It comes every two years, and I cannot express to you how refreshing and recharging it is to be there, to sit under so much preaching, to sing with 12,000 other brothers and sisters, to refill uh, my resources with some good books and to have some priceless fellowship with friends and brothers in Christ. And so I, I thank you, my church, for letting me be a part of, of that. Um, and we look forward to relaying some more information or more things and experiences that we, we had there uh, at the conference. I also want to thank um, our brother Kenny, our elder Kenny, for preaching faithfully the Word of God last Sunday from, from John chapter 1. I was, I, was grateful, I was grateful and very blessed to sit underneath the preaching, so thank you, brother, for, for that. Um, so hopefully by now, you've made it to Luke chapter 9. And um, if, you remember, if you remember from Luke chapter 9, or, or maybe you're, you're new and you don't know, that's okay, Luke chapter 9 is a transition point in the Gospel of Luke. Um, it is a transition from shifting from Jesus' Galilean ministry, which is almost like his, his coming out party, like, who he, like he's starting to reveal this is Jesus, his crowds are, being, uh, are, are coming to him. And, and now in Luke chapter 9, in fact, I believe next week, we're going to see where Jesus actually sets his face toward Jerusalem. And, and if you understand what he's saying there, setting his face toward Jerusalem is not just he wants to go to the city, he knows why he is here and why he is on earth, and that is the purpose of going to the cross. So this is a transition point in the Gospel of, of Luke and in Jesus' ministry. So throughout chapter 9, we've, we've been seeing this revealing of the identity of Jesus. And it's really, we've been seeing it throughout Luke, of course. That's one of his points and one of his themes throughout his Gospel in, in, in trying to achieve in your heart a certainty in who Christ is. But it is being intensified in Luke chapter 9 of revealing of his identity. If you remember, it started out with the wicked King Herod asking the question, the right question, who is this? And yet he was unable to see. We saw Jesus asking his disciples, and Peter rightly confessed that he is the Christ. Two weeks ago, we saw in the transfiguration that even God the Father came out and said, this is my son my chosen one. But not just his identity was being revealed, but
but also his purpose, his purpose to be to suffer, to be rejected by all the religious leaders of Israel, meaning brothers, disciples, everybody who you think has a, a knowledge and who has education, who is the preachers and teachers of your day is going to tell you you are wrong. Is what Jesus is getting at there. He must come and die on the cross. And then, when Peter, James, and John woke up that day on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw the glowing glory of Jesus Christ as He really is. They saw Moses and Elijah with Him also in this glorious, revealed uh, um, nature. They were having a conversation. And the conversation took, was, was, was not about how cool Elijah is or how cool Moses is and the great things they did, but they were talking about the great departure that Jesus was about to have, the new and great exodus, the work on the cross. And so we see two wonderful themes flowing through chapter 9, the identity of Jesus and the purpose of why Jesus came. And they can't be separated. They can't be separated because the work of the cross is the most decisive and greatest work of God, bringing about redemption and reconciliation of man. And the glory of God descended upon that mountain that day, confirming Jesus and who he is and that he's going to accomplish the the will of God and lead this new exodus. Needless to say, that day, Peter, James, and John had what we would call a mountaintop experience. Right? That's not a joke. That's, I think that's where that came from, by the way. They had a big experience. They wanted to stay there. They wanted to tent it up and dwell there in the mountain of the glory of, of Jesus. And one thing I didn't say uh, two weeks ago about this passage, did you know this is the first time that in the light of the glory of God, these are, these are guys who didn't fall on their faces before God. because they were seeing the fullness of Christ and the grace of Christ. They were having a mountaintop experience. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience? I mean, not like the transfiguration, but a mountaintop of experience where where you sat under the the preaching of the Word and the Holy Spirit led you in glorious worship and maybe He revealed something wonderful about the, the Word to you? When, when I was in student ministry, we would call this the Thursday night camp experience. Because Thursday night being the, was the, the culmination of the, the, the whole week. It's when we've been sitting under the Word all week. We've been singing good songs. We've been hanging out in this closed Christian environment, but still having a really good time. So on that Thursday night, the emotions of the students were, were just ready to explode and make new promises and make new decisions. Have you ever had moments of the mountaintop in your life? I know I can point to mountaintop experiences in my life that God used. And, and clearly, the mountaintop experience for, for Peter, the Mount of Transfiguration, he spoke about in, I believe, 2 Peter chapter 3. Don't quote me on that, but he does quote about, he talks about the revealed majesty and glory of God revealed to him on that mountain that day. We, I can point to mountaintops in my, my life, and I believe God has, has used them. 
but there's something about being on the mountaintop that you don't really consider when you're there. And I don't think it's something that they really considered when they were there. Is as great as Thursday night is and how awesome it, it is, Friday's coming. <laughs> Meaning you've got to go home. Meaning these guys are coming down the mountain. And this experience that I'm calling today from this passage is a beautiful letdown. A beautiful letdown. So let's look at Luke chapter 9 and let's start reading together in verse 37. Exactly. On that day, on the next day, I'm sorry, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you. Notice his language here. I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. Not the first time we've seen this. Verse 39, And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him, and will hardly leave him. Verse 40, And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, verse 44, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they may not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask about this saying. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. And may His Holy Spirit move in our hearts this morning to hear and see this holy, inspired, inerrant word to His glory and for our joy. So talk about coming off the mountain. Great, glorious experience on top of the mountain. And now Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, they come down off the mountain in the very next day. You know, probably the, the greatest and most spiritually exhilarating experience ever. It doesn't get any better than what they experienced at the Mount of Transfiguration. But as soon as they come down off the mountain, they are quickly greeted by the reality of a broken, ugly, painful, hurting, sinful world. It doesn't diminish the glory that they experienced on the mountain but it certainly puts things in perspective because it shows them and us that humanity has a great need of deliverance and to be delivered by someone that is not of them. We see that in Jesus' glory, as great as it was revealed to them on the mountain, we also must see Jesus' glory 
as he shows it to us in the mess of sinful humanity. Let me give you a little more context of that day. Mark's gospel tells us that when Jesus uh, comes down off the mountain with the other three guys, they come down and they, he finds the other disciples in a, with a large crowd all around, and they're in argument with the scribes, with the lawyers. I mean, they're, they're yelling at each other. They're in an argument with, with them, and who, we don't know what it is. Jesus finds this chaos coming down off the mountain, and then there's this father who comes up to Jesus who is in absolute desperate agony for his son to be healed. And all he sees is these people fighting, and he sees his son being crushed and destroyed under the weight of this physical and spiritual oppression that he is facing. Jesus finds a mess when he comes down off the mountain. Doesn't it sound a little bit like what Moses experienced when he came down off the mountain? The boy was severely afflicted. Severely afflicted. Physically, Matthew tells us that he has epilepsy. He actually says epilepsy. You see the descriptions that Luke makes, and clearly we can say that that's exactly what this is. But also, there was demonic oppression. And when you put those two things together, you have this heart and gut-wrenching experience for any parent to watch their only child or any of their children to be virtually torn apart and to be utterly helpless to do anything about it. Utterly helpless to do anything. So he, he begs Jesus for help. And in the midst of begging Jesus for help, he says, I, I asked the disciples to do this, and, and they were unable. And we see Jesus' reaction. His reaction is not toward the demon or toward the Father, but to the crowd, to everyone who is there. O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? And yet, despite the faithlessness and the twistedness of that generation and of this generation, Jesus still calls the boy to himself, rebukes the demon, and heals him. And I love this part, the restoration. He gives him back to his father. And the great crowd that was all there, that was there being entertained by the arguments, they're now entertained by Jesus. And they're astonished and amazed by the majesty of God. That's what it says. They're astonished and amazed by the majesty of God, the power of God at work. I mean, look at all the people. They're happy. They're amazed. They're astonished to see the work that is working through Jesus. What a miracle it is. And, and, and if your goal is to get as many people as you can enamored with Jesus, to, with, with his miracles and what he can do for you, then mission accomplished. But the very fact and the way Jesus comes back and speaks to his disciples tells us one thing. He is not impressed. He is not impressed, and he doesn't want his disciples to, to be impressed as they're standing there going, yeah, that's my teacher. That's my teacher. See, we're right. They're wrong. Don't be impressed, boys. Because he reminds them of their death, and these same people who are praising him now will be demanding his death. And, of course, the disciples didn't understand this. We, we see that. 
They didn't understand it. They couldn't understand it. We see that it was being held from them. They, they, there was something spiritual as well, but they also couldn't understand it. There's more going on in this passage. They could not understand. And they were, even, they, they were so uh, lacking in their understanding, they, they wouldn't even ask questions. They were afraid, and they wouldn't ask questions. I mean, you remember when school, I mean, almost every teacher would always say, um, don't be afraid to ask questions because the only question that's dumb is the question you don't ask. I mean, every teacher says that. I don't know if you guys say it or not. I'm not implicating you in that. But, but every teacher always say that, and you're just like, yeah, right, until I ask the question and everyone laughs at me because it's the only dumb question. Right? So we kind of get fearful. They got fearful. How do we handle this? And so I entitled this message, once again, A Beautiful Letdown. So what does it mean for us? Good question. Here's where I boiled this passage all the way down to for us. Is that through Jesus, our victory over evil is only won by him. Because through his death and resurrection, he has defeated all of our enemies. And so therefore, our task as his people and as his church is to stand by faith and walk in truth and in his victory that he has already won. So in that summarized point there, i got three things I want to share with you this morning. Number one, I want, you to show, I want to show you the reality of life. I want to show you the reality of, of, of life. Second, I want to show you about faith. I want to show you about faith, the necessity of, of active faith. And third, I want to show you what it means to be grounded in truth and the importance of being grounded in truth. So first, considering this passage, let's, let's think about the reality of life. The reality of life. And that is this. The reality of life is that it's not always on top of the mountain. The reality of life is filled with difficulty and hardship personally that we will face in our own lives, but also in sharing with others and what they're suffering, walking through, and the difficulties of their life. The Christian life has great, glorious moments on being on top of the mountaintop. In fact, at the very end, I'm going to share with you the importance of seeking to be on top of, of, of the mountain. Yet the real work of the glory of God, though, takes places in the trenches, in the valleys of life. It's unfortunate that the gospel that most of us have heard was a gospel of receive Jesus and everything will be okay. You will be happy. You will go to heaven. Pray this and here is your official Christian rose-colored glasses. And all those... Some of those pieces may be true. It's not the entirety of the gospel. We get saved. We are reconciled with God. And yes, gloriously, His wrath toward us is completely satisfied because of the perfect atoning work and sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And that is something as Christians we, we delight in and we love and we remember, but we still live in a very fallen world and we still live in this very failing flesh. 
So we are quickly hit with the reality that the Christian life is hard. It's a hard road. I remember there was a time when I was a young believer. I was struggling with faith. I was struggling with belief. I was doubting even my own salvation. I was doubting that I was even a a Christian, and it was because I was continuously struggling with sin. And it didn't seem like there was any freedom to me. I I couldn't see it. And I was worn out. And I remember thinking to myself and even asking myself the question, if someone told me it was going to be this hard, I'm not sure I would have wanted this. Now, I praise God for his steadfast love and his grace for keeping me. I certainly didn't deserve it. I certainly didn't, don't deserve it. I certainly am undeserving of it completely, but in his love and his grace, he, he kept me, and he even used that. The Christian life can be difficult, very difficult. And looking at this passage, when these guys come down the mountain, they are faced with a mess. They are hard-pressed into the reality of a fallen world. They see the crowd. They're arguing of the disciples. They, they see this father and this, this boy, and, and, and they and just take him back, as any of us would be taken back by what we see not hard for us to see that watch the news watch popular culture media Christine and I watched the movie last night about just brokenness in our world and oppressed by a, a demon it, it seizes this boy up he, he cries out suddenly probably in pain he convulses, he foams at the mouth it puts him in severe seizures that, that shatter him I mean can you think about that word shatter I'm thinking of like bones shattering as it throws him on the ground, busting his face wide open. It even says in in the other Gospels in Mark, it says that at the right time as he would be walking down the road with his dad, the demon would cause that epilepsy to fire upon him and it would push him right into the fire. It would push him into the water to drown. It was trying to kill this poor boy. And this father was seeing this day after day the reality of life in a broken, fallen world. Brothers and sisters, there is an evil that hates us just as much in this life. Can you imagine that kind of evil of taking a child and throwing him into the fire? That is the kind of evil that hates that child and hates us and hates our families and hates our churches. The allure of sin, brothers and sisters, is us voting for that evil and giving in to our temptations and sin is voting for that evil brothers and sisters whatever you are tempted by whatever you are struggling with even this week or this morning what seems so appealing and so satisfying and so gratifying is no different than the condition of this screaming child sin is not your friend. It does not give you life. It sucks it from you. Another piece of this passage and more of the good news of the reality of this life 
is what Jesus does. Jesus seeing what's taking place as they come down the mountain and they're faced with the crowd and they're faced with this boy and yet Jesus doesn't turn away. But Jesus wades right in. He goes right into the, into the pools of human misery to do what he proclaimed he would do in Luke chapter 4, and that is to set the captives free. He came to get his hands dirty and to love us as we were so that we would not be the same and stay there. And in his example, and in his example of wading into the mess church, in this hard, difficult life, we are called to do the same things. We are called to follow our Savior and wade into the mess of this life. Not to partake of it, but to preach the gospel. We sometimes see and experience the, the worst among us in, in this community. This community of, of faith. And we have to confess the worst of ourselves to each other and yet still forgive and love and give grace. That's what the church does. We are called to walk with each other as Jesus did with his disciples and with the crowd that day. I have a good friend who's in the pastorate and he's serving in a church very similar to ours, very similar in size and very similar in, in age. And yet he is walking in a very difficult situation with one of his church members. A situation that truthfully there's no winners in the end. And yet we are called to wade into it and be faithful. The reality of this life is that it's hard, it's messy, but we must remain committed to Christ, to the gospel, and to each other. We must face life as it really is and take those rose-colored glasses off. So that's the first point. Second is the necessity of active faith. The necessity of active faith. So how do we live then in this fallen world? How do we do that? How do we walk with each other? How do we bear with one another in our messes with each other? How do we bear with one another in that? We, we live by faith. We live by faith. Active faith. In the middle of this situation in this passage in verse 40, we see that the disciples could not cast out that demon, could they? And for some reason or another, they were unable to. And Jesus is completely dismayed by it, right? He says in verse 41, O faithless and twisted generation, literally you unbelieving, perverse generation. This is Jesus using Old Testament language from Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses' song in Deuteronomy 32 to, to express the tension that he's feeling when he sees the faithless and twisted generation before him. And I think it's Jesus kind of just expressing his feelings that, man, I am a stranger. I am a stranger among you. And I think Jesus even experiencing the mountaintop of himself, seeing the glory and hearing the expression of the, the acceptance of his father, Jesus is feeling a little homesick. We live in that kind of world, don't we? We feel a little homesick. We just feel like a stranger. You ever felt that way? Maybe at work. You hear the way people are talking. You hear the way people are saying things and doing things. and You feel like a stranger. 
there's a serious spiritual problem that is taking place in the crowd and with all humanity. Unbelief and perversity. Mark tells us about the conversation that he had with the disciples right after the incident because they want to know, why couldn't we do this? Why, why couldn't we cast out this uh, demon? And, and Jesus said, you couldn't because of your lack of prayer. Matthew tells us the same question. He says it was a lack of faith. And they're not at odds with one another, are they? Because what is, what is prayer? Prayer is simply to say that I have faith, I have belief and dependence upon God for these, for these things that I'm laying before you. I cannot do it of myself, but God can. So a lack of prayer is to say, I have faith in myself. I have faith in myself. And humanity is guilty of that kind of unbelief. We have faith in ourselves. And unbelief is the root of all sin. I don't have time to unpack that. Maybe one day we will. But what soon accompanies unbelief all the time and faithlessness all the time is crookedness and perversity. Because we always do what is right in our own eyes when we are not believing when we are not walking by active faith. Paul Tripp uh, said it like this in one of the devotions that I read this week. He says, What is incredibly dangerous is how quickly we forget God and how fast our allegiance to our own purposes and plans develop. We convince ourselves that we are wiser, stronger, and more righteous than we really are. And therefore, we step into danger. Only grace can work to remind us that faith in God is the resting place. And trust in self is a minefield. It is grace and grace alone that empowers us to follow and rest. The disciples failed seemingly what we, what we see here from a lack of faith. They trusted in themselves. They quit praying. And what, is, what, is, what does Tripp say here? He says it's a minefield. It's a minefield. We need lots of grace to live this life. We just talked about the difficulties of life and what can come uh, uh, against us. We need grace to live by faith, a grace that empowers us to follow and to rest in God. And it seems so impossible at times to have this kind, of, this kind of active faith, especially when you're not on the mountaintop, but you're down in the valley. And once again, there's good news here. There is good news here. Their lack of faith didn't stop Jesus, did it? It didn't stop Jesus. The good news is that Jesus' power and authority is not limited by your weakness and by my weakness and by your failings and by my failings not limited by my lack of faith it's not limited by your lack of faith and how do i know that verse 42 jesus rebukes the demon and heals him and gives him back to his dad it didn't stop him the redeem redemption and restoration is only done by jesus it is only done by jesus who can bring all the chaos and brokenness in our life back into order christ and isn't that good news it doesn't depend upon your faith. Isn't that 
good news, faith enriching, empowering, cultivating. And this account this morning presses us for the necessity of active faith, faith that is confidence in Jesus' power and authority to help us. And thankfully, we do not have to earn Jesus' love and help through faith. Jesus is not waiting for you to reach a certain level of faith, and that is when he is going to step in. Instead, we come to him. We depend on him. And he helps us with our ongoing struggles and disbeliefs. Jesus is not offended or taken back when you cry out to him for help. When you cry out to him for for faith. When you cry out to him for belief. Because once again, this is the passage in which the Father says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Faith is not denying the reality of your spiritual struggles and pretending to, do, to be something that you're not. That's not faith. That's fake. Faith is holding on to His grace. Faith is believing in the finished work of Christ. Faith is believing and trusting and holding on to His triumphal work of victory on the cross. Like the song we sang this morning, completely done. I didn't do it. Why do I have this fear? Why do I have this unbelief? We run to him. We confess our wavering on and on again. And he will not turn you away. Ephesians 6, I believe it's verse 10, says, Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. That pronoun is so important. His, capital H, His. Our strength is in Him. Our victory is in Him. Our faith is in Him. And when we do that, that's how we escape. When we live in that active faith daily, that's how we escape that faithless and twisted generation. That's point number two. Point number three is being grounded in truth. Now notice what I've been doing to inform and stir your faith this morning. I've been feeding you truth from the Word of God. And it's truth from the Scriptures and the, the work of the Holy Spirit then that takes our faith and expands its object. And expands the object. And that object is the truth. And that truth is Jesus. Right? So our faith is expanding in the object of Christ. And how do we do that? We need truth. We need His Word. And that's our third point, is that we need to be growing in truth. We need to be grounded in His truth. So when all the crowd was amazed and astonished at the greatness of God, what does Jesus do? Does He stand there and revel in their praise? In glory? In their majesty? What does He do? He takes his disciples off to the side and he reminds them of his soon death. I mean, it's so important. You look at verse 44 again. What does he say when he starts the little, the little preface there? He says, let these words sink in. Now, if you're a parent, you might have said those words before. And there's nothing wrong with that. You ought to say There's times there's extremely important things you have to convey to a child. 
like a couple months ago. I got, you knew the example was coming. A couple months ago, you know, when the, when the flu was going nuts in Statesboro, actually the world it seemed like, and it seemed like, you know, the, the apocalypse was about to begin. It was so bad. You know, half schools were closing down. I mean, it seems like a distant memory now. And, and I, when we were going to school almost every day for a couple weeks, and if I was driving, I, w- I would tell the girls, I said, girls, you will wash your hands today every single time you can. You will not share with anybody. You won't even touch anybody. You can fist bump, that's it. And then you'll go wash your hands. You won't sanitize your face and your lunchbox and your bag when you come home. Right? And it was like every day, because I wanted this truth of, I don't want that junk in my house, meaning the bugs, not them, the bugs in my home. I didn't want it. And there was only one place that junk was coming from. It wouldn't come from you guys. You guys are clean. Unclean, right? At schools. It was tough. I said it over and over again, because I wanted, I did not want that stuff. I wanted it to sink in. And this is what Jesus wants. Jesus wants this truth to sink in. And it's not the truth of the praise. What is it? It's the reality of the cross. The crowd is excited. He doesn't want that to sink in. Because that's, that's temporary. The glory of man is temporary. But not the cross. The boasts of, of man is Temporary. We're not called to boast in that. We're called to boast in the cross. Jesus points his disciples to the cross. And so when everyone else was marveling, even astonished at the, the majesty of God, it looked a whole lot like worship. Jesus warns them, the Son of Man would be delivered into the hands of men. The praising adoration of crowds, they will not last. People are fickle in their hearts. No, not us, right? We're not fickle. We don't change our minds. Bull. You don't even know what you're going to have for lunch today. We'll ask, hey, honey, what do you want for lunch today? I don't know. How about hamburgers? No. You said whatever. I don't know. Our hearts are fickle. Mankind's hearts are fickle. And we are swayed to whatever feels best and to whatever sounds best. And the same thing with this crowd. Everything that they saw looked good, sounded good. But soon that crowd would be swayed will be swayed it's so easy to get caught up with grandeur and popularity it is so alluring it even sounds good and successful to have the crowds come and cheer but Jesus stops them stops and points them to the truth of suffering brothers and sisters we need truth we need the truth of the the word of God to ground us to ground us you know, the great thing about this passage, another great thing about this passage, isn't that Jesus casted out the demon. That's awesome. And he heals this young boy. Awesome. What such glorious good news for that father and for that son. The miracle working power is not the great thing in this passage that we need to see this morning. The greatest thing about this passage and what the whole Bible is pointing to, and what Jesus is pointing his disciples to, is to the cross. 
That's the thing we are to be astonished with. That's the, the truth that we are to be holding on to. The cross and the resurrection. That's the truth that we are to be marveling at and to be astonished at. Yes, Jesus is incredible and amazing to do such uh, miracles. And He is the only one that has that kind of authority and that kind of power. But it is the truth of the cross that will ground us and give us deep roots into what is life. That's the truth that we preach to ourselves when our faith is weak, when we are not on the mountaintops, when the waves come crashing into our souls. It's the cross that we remember. We will find plenty of people in this world that will marvel at Jesus. The crowds will be astonished by him, but it will not be because of the gospel. It's out of what they can get for him, from him. You know, I hear a lot that when, I hear this saying a lot, that when someone gets sick or gets a bad diagnosis or something happens in their life, whatever it may be, often Christians will say this line, well, God's got this. God's, God's got, got this. You can, you can trust him. And, and yes, some parts of this passage, there is overwhelming evidence absolutely that Jesus has the power and authority over all sickness, evil, cancer, and even death itself. And certainly Jesus can be trusted. But that statement, God's got this, what happens when he doesn't heal you? Does that mean he doesn't? Is that then now we, have, we can doubt? There's no more foundation anymore because God really didn't have this? Yes, we, we, we pray for healing. We ask for healing. But even greater than that, we live out our faith in Christ who was victorious over our sins and death. And our victory is not to be finalized in this life. Our victory is in the next we, feel, we share a portion of that victory now over our sins. And we can pray for His sustaining grace as we can, we can walk through anything that comes our way. We live victorious in the truth that He has redeemed and reconciled and restored, just like He did that boy. He redeemed, He reconciled, and He restored. He gave Him back to His Father. That's what Jesus did with us. He took us, He redeemed us, He reconciled us, and He gave, him to his, gave us to His Father. Here they are, God. And the crowds missed it. Culture will miss it. They are dazzled with big lights and cunning words and by miracles. But we are to be astonished even more with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Does that truth astonish you? Are you marveling in the majesty of God because of the cross? Let me boil this down really quickly, and we'll be done. Let me give you two, two ways we can apply this. And I gave you several different throughout. I think first, going back to the mountaintop, we must seek to observe and experience the majesty and glory of God. Absolutely, brothers and sisters, we need to seek to be on top of the mountain. God reveals us His glory in creation. 
but we also see God's glory in the work that he does in us. And we see the glory of God as he works in each other. And that is how we delight in the glory of God. One of the ways that we also can see the glory of God and delight in it and how we can even discern what that work is and what he's doing in each other is we seek him in our own personal time of worship. See, the reality is, is if you're not seeking the mountain of God's glory during the week in your own personal worship of being in the Word and whatever other of those spiritual disciplines you may, you may hold on to, if we're not seeking those things on our own, then we are rarely going to see them in life, in other areas of life. That's where unbelief comes in. We're going to trust in, in, in ourselves. It starts with our own personal worship throughout the week. When we walk close to Christ, we will see his triumph over our sins and struggles. And if we are not walking close to Christ, we will never see those things. We will never delight in those things. We'll never enjoy these things. There's not one of us here this morning who knows everything they need to know about Jesus. Not one. We are all growing in this, and we all must press into it more and more. Once again, how different are we, are we from this father that we see in our passages today? And with the disciples who were struggling in their faith, we're not any different from them, are we? We're very much just like them. We need Jesus desperately, but we just need to see that we need Jesus desperately. And we struggle with unbelief and sin. And it doesn't mean just because we struggle in these things, that doesn't mean we're doing wicked things, but it does mean confessing and living the Christian life is hard and there's deep valleys. It does mean that we have to press in in faith. We have to press in in our worship and press into the truth that is being revealed to us in the scriptures. You know, faith doesn't come natural, does it? It's not just something that you walk out this door and it's like we give to you with like a book. It's something that we need to depend on the Holy Spirit for and grow in. It's okay to be like the Father again and say, I believe, but Jesus helped my unbelief. We see the glory of God in our personal worship. We see the glory of God in, in our community meaning in our, our community of, of our corporate worship, our Sunday mornings, our church. These are, these are meant to be uh, um, you know, small pictures of that mountaintop experience where we come together and we can see the glory of God. We, we sing the glory of God. We can see the glory of God. We hear the glory of God. And we participate in the glory of God. Sundays are meant to be a mountaintop experience. If they're more of a valley, then there's a problem. Sometimes we get to playing church and we come unprepared spiritually. We come unprepared physically. And we can even have the temptation of leaving and thinking. And we might even said this. Well, I didn't get anything out of that. This is going to hit hard here. But that kind of thinking means that the gathering with the church is primarily about you which is exactly the heart of the crowd. I want to be entertained. I want to be fulfilled. 
brothers and sisters, we gather for the glory and worship of God and for each other. You don't come here, you don't come on Wednesdays for you. You come here for me. You come here for Kelly. You come here for the Bills and Miss Susan and Abby and Carson and the rest of the Anderson clan. You come here for each other. So in the, the mornings and the days we don't want to come, that's what we say. I'm not coming for me. I'm coming for them. I'm coming for the glory of God. Become ready to participate and not be like the disciples who were afraid to ask and understand. Yes, there was something supernatural that was being concealed to them that produced that, that fear and understanding, but they were still afraid. And in that fear, they still didn't ask. Brothers and sisters, we do not live by that fear anymore. We have the Word of God given to us, and we have the Spirit of God given to us so that we no longer live in fear, and it's okay to ask. Let us not be afraid to ask each other questions. Like, did did you know that that's the purpose of our response time? Like, that's the purpose. It's kind of like this switch from this formal uh, church we're preaching, Jesus singing, to more of kind of like a small group, because we're a small group, reality, look at us. We're small. We switch from a big time formal to, to more informal, small group, Sunday school kind of thing, and we get led in this discussion so we can ask questions, so that we can share what the, what the scriptures have, have spoke to us, and then each other, because we're not here for us, we're here for each other, and so that other people then can delight in what God is doing in me, and what God is doing in you. That's community, that's living in faith together. Brothers and sisters, don't be afraid to share with your community with your church. I hate that word community. It's so catchy now. Everybody's using it. With our, with our church. I know I said I was going quick, but I'm really not. I'm sorry. Second thing is I think that this passage empowers our evangelism. Maybe you can see it there. Personal and corporate worship, the mountaintop is vital, right? That's why we come and we gather on Sundays. It's vital to us. It's absolutely vital. Um, and we, we must be connected with the church and to be devoted to what Jesus loves and what Jesus died for, absolutely. But it is our personal worship throughout uh, the week and our corporate worship on Sunday, these mountaintop experiences of the glory of God, we also must come down off that mountain and we are called as Christians to do as what Jesus did and to wade among the mess and the mire of this world the deep, deep, dark valleys where there are needy souls, needy souls that are suffering under the cruelty of sin, whether willingly or unwillingly, they are suffering under the cruelty of sin. You see, whenever we see someone and hear someone of being born again, by God's Spirit, that person now becomes a partaker of the glory of God and a glory of Christ, and the light of Christ dwells in them. Last, year, I, last week I told you the highlight of my trip to Louisville was my friend and I providentially running into someone that I knew when I lived up there and I worked at UPS, someone who I never thought the Lord would redeem and save. I mean, you just 
my own stereotypes. And yet 10 years later, walking out of the Galt house, we saw each other, and I was utterly stunned by the fact he was wearing a T4G volunteer shirt. Brothers and sisters, we do not want to miss out on this particular glory. The particular glory of seeing people saved and redeemed. Yes, the work of, of, of calling and drawing and regeneration is all of God, and we can be confident, confident and believe that God will save his elect. That means the pressure's off. That's what that means. The pressure's off. Now go and be faithful. Go and, go and be faithful. Share the good news of the gospel that, that Jesus, what he has done in, in your life and what the word of God expresses. And he will take the worst among us and he will take the best among us and he will heal them and restore them just like that little boy and just like he did to my new brother in Christ, Michael, in Louisville. We want to be a part of that glory. Sovereign Grace Church, I want us to be a part of that glory. I don't want to be the next great thing. I don't want to be the next great thing where the crowds are excited and jeering and cheering and loving and blah, 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 blah. blah. I want to be faithful. I want us to be faithful in preaching the glory of Christ and trusting in faith that He is going to save those whom He will call. And yet we will remain to be faithful. Well, what a glory that we get to share in, that we get to see. We may not ever see the Michaels that I got to see. You may never see this side of heaven. But isn't he worth it? Let's not get tangled up in the trivial matters in this world that only try to steal our attention from what really matters. Let us lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for showing us once again your power, your authority, your identity as the Son of God. And oh God, help us as your people to rejoice and marvel in the majesty of God and what you have done in the cross. That is what we post in this morning. That is what we cling to this morning. That is the anchor of our faith. The truth of our faith is the cross. And we hold on to that. Lord, I pray that as your people this morning, you will help us by your Spirit cast out all fear and live victorious in this life. Help us, O oh God, to live faithful, sharing the gospel in the ways that we know how, and trusting that your Spirit will do its work for your glory and for your joy. Amen.